When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Well, Bonzo's was the best hard rock drummer ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. Bonzo was the main part of the band. He was the man who made whatever Paige and I wrote basically work. Nobody played the drums like John Bonham, and that's all there is to it. I was stunned. Everybody was just stunned. He was one of the greatest drummers of all time. I mean, he, he made that band, if you really think about it. He played lead drums, dude. They were the first band to off the stage. Led Zeppelin. He was Bonzo on the road with Zeppelin, the wild man that would completely demolish John Paul Jones' room with a samurai sword. He was always down. Hello and welcome. This is The Rock Podcast, the only podcast that matters. Now, I collect stories. My name is Denny Somak. I'm your host. And each episode, I'm going to bring you the inside story from my archives of rock. These are taken from the years and years of producing radio shows and hosting radio specials and all sorts of stuff. I built up this archive over the years. So you're going to be hearing some of the best things from that. Uh, and we, uh, we're going to be having guests on from time to time, but more about that later. Uh, anyway, uh, this is our debut show. And uh, oh, let me introduce Anita. Where are you? Right here, Denny. Oh. <laughs> You're looking right at me. Oh, okay. This is me. <laughs> okay, you How are you doing? Okay. How's everything with you? Great. You know, uh, I, I love that we're on a first name basis. Uh, as you know, from the tri-state area, Philadelphia, Jersey, and a little bit of Delaware, <laughs> I was known as Ask Anita. And I'm so happy that you asked me, you asked Anita to be part of this. I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you. And yeah, just call me Anita. Well, as you know, Denny, music to me is life itself. And I have vivid memories of hearing the first Led Zeppelin album for the first time. It was in my friend Two and All Tony's apartment. It was 1969. <laughs> okay. And you know, the 70s are my fav- is my favorite decade. The music right. and the recreational drugs, I know you agree. I absolutely agree. And I remember the first time I heard Led Zeppelin, it was January of 69. I was in Florida visiting my grandmother and I was listening to, believe it or not, an AM radio station, WSRF in Fort Lauderdale. Surf. Surf, right. Case surf. surf. And it was W surf then. That's right. Uh, East Coast. And uh, I heard, you know, the guy puts his, his new band from England and it's their first album. They're called Led Zeppelin. And he puts on, babe, I'm going to leave you. And I just went, Oh my God, what was that? <laughs> and then he played like a couple more songs and I was like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. Anyway, uh, the reason we're talking about all this, obviously we're going to do a little tribute here to John Bonham because uh, a few months ago was the uh, 40th anniversary of his passing. And he's still considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest rock drummer of all time. And um, we're just going to, you know, hopefully invoke some memories for you. I've been collecting these John Bonham stories. 
So this gives us a chance to uh, go through that. So, okay, so that's the first time you heard them. I told you the first time I heard them. How about the first time you heard this? John Bonham, the drummer for Led Zeppelin, is dead at the age of 32. And as Inspector Ed Garland of the Thames Valley Police in England tells us... We do not know the cause of death. Uh, there will be a post-mortem in due course. Although we're not treating it as suspicious. Bonham was found lying in bed by John Paul Jones after a night's sleep at Jimmy Page's home following a late-night rehearsal. As the inspector says, John Bonham's death is not suspicious. The police reporting it was not a suicide, that there was no note found next to the body and no sign of any drugs nearby. Friends tell us that Bonham was in pretty good health, though Led Zepp's recent European tour did have one show canceled because Bonham was physically exhausted. Of course, the big question now is what happens to Led Zeppelin's North American tour that was set to begin October 17th in Montreal. A spokesman the source contacted at Swan Song Records said the tour has not been canceled, at least not yet, and that there won't be any further decision until the band's management meets tomorrow. Again, John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, dead at the age of 32. Well, the actual cause of death was pulmonary aspiration, but they didn't go there then. Uh, what, what's the modern day... Amount, uh, you know, version. Well, it kind of sounded like the guy was inferring that perhaps John Bonham died of boredom. I don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, all kidding aside, uh, it is still very fresh for so many of us and such a great loss, including Jimmy Page, of course. Recently, he was asked about it and he, he really gave a poignant answer. He, he, he told the interviewer that he found himself hearing the news, he found himself standing on a street corner, clutching 12 years of his life, not knowing which way to go. And he called the experience of John Bonham's death peculiar because he knew the dream was over and everything was gone. Wow. How, how recent is that? Cause he I said that like that. a week ago. I'm saying, oh, you know, I mean, okay. that is, that's why it's just, you know, it, it's such, it's he so, was probably commenting on the 40th anniversary. Yes. And it's yeah. so long ago, but yet it's so right, right now. Wow. Well, as, as you know, as, as I've, I've said before, I collect Led Zeppelin stories and I, I thought I'd go to my John Bonham folder and pull out a few of the stories that I uh, found. So uh, this first story is a great one. It's a great, uh, the, the great Alice Cooper, uh, who met John Bonham and Led Zeppelin on the very first American tour when uh, the Alice Cooper band shared the bill with the Zeppelin at the famous Whiskey A Go-Go. So here's Alice to tell you the story. I know I have a slide uh, that my that somebody took that said Alice Cooper and Led Zeppelin uh, this weekend only. <laughs> and at the time, you know, we were we were just local bands as far as we were concerned. We didn't even know Led Zeppelin uh, was, you know, who they were. It just was another band. We figured they were from the Valley or something, you know, and, until we got there. And, uh, of course, we saw Jimmy Page and us being Yardbirds fans realized that, uh, you know, he was in the Yardbirds and that was a big deal to us. So we were immediately humbled by that because of the fact that here we, here was a, a Yardbird, you know, uh, before that, you know, there, nobody had really heard of Jimmy Page. He might've played some lead with the kinks and things like that or, or on sessions, but honestly, nobody had ever heard of him. So we got there and they had British accents, which was kind of like surprise to us. And, uh, uh, they were, uh, you know, we, we just sort of like said, uh, well, who goes on first? Doesn't matter to us. You know, we, we flipped a coin. I think we went on first the first night. They went on first the second night. Uh, but we really, you know, really got along. They were just a great band. I mean, as far as we were concerned, they were far, uh, uh you know, uh, got cut above a local band. That's for sure. 
Alice Cooper with a, a great story. Um, he's, you know, talking about uh, playing with Led Zeppelin uh, the first time they came to America. Alice is a big uh, Keith Moon fan, by the way, and uh, he confirms what always comes up when you're, you're talking about Bonham, the comparisons between Bonham and Moon. Bonham hit the drums hard. I don't think the Bonham hit the drums harder, though, than Buddy Miles or another drummer named Frosty from Lee Michaels. Uh, there was a couple of drummers that were just, just uh, annihilated the drums. John was one of them. Um, and, and he was a really good drummer. Uh, there's always going to be the controversy who was better, Bonham or, or Keith Moon. You know, well, you know, that's, that's you know, what depends on, on whose corner you're. And I always thought Keith Moon was a more versatile drummer than John Bonham. But Bonham really hit the drums hard. Well, that argument about which is which one is the better drummer, that'll go on and on till the yeah. end of time. I mean, I change my mind on a daily basis. <laughs> but one thing, Denny, yeah. that we may yeah. be able to agree on, how about the best five rock drummers of all time? I made a list and I this was so okay. easy for me. And I go think ahead. this would be I think this would be everybody's list. Yeah. Okay. John Bonham. Yeah. Keith Moon. Yeah. Ringo. Yeah. Charlie Watts. Yeah. Ginger Baker. Okay, now I got to tell you, I, I was expecting the Mount Rushmore of rock, which is what most people do. You and can't. Do the, the four. You so, can't but, do four. But you added a fifth, and I got to tell you to. something. I not only agree with the four that are on Mount Rushmore of rock, but I agree with your fifth choice. Yeah, Ginger so, Baker has to be on there. N- no question. And has to be. We have a show coming up on Cream, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, with a really some amazing comments uh, from. And Ginger I have a Baker. funny Ginger Baker story. Okay, well, save it. Oh yeah, it's in the <laughs> vault, Danny. Okay, all right. That's Alice Cooper. Our next story is from Alex and Eddie Van Halen, and uh, they're fans just like us. And they recall the first time they met John Bonham, at an early point in their career, and it was at the famous Rainbow Bar and Grill. For those of you not familiar with the Rainbow. Uh, it's a bar and restaurant on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. Uh, the Rainbow was founded in early 72, opening, I think it was like April 16th. They had a party for Elton John there. I didn't go. I wasn't there. But uh, it quickly became known as uh, a hangout for uh, rock stars, celebrities of all types. And it's legendary, filled with stories. We could probably do a, a whole episode on the place. What do you think? Well, it's such a great hang because all of those clubs are right together there on sunset so you know you've got the roxy down the street is the whiskey and then next to the roxy after you you know done drinking your weight uh you go over there to the rainbow and you know you eat there uh drink some more and everybody who performed with the roxy and the whiskey they go there and everybody else goes there so yeah it's one of the one of the best hangs i ever i was there first in 1980 a lot of mascara and big hair and those were the guys (laughs) When Van Halen was starting out, Eddie and Alex were in L.A., and just like everybody else, they went to the Rainbow, and that's where they ran into John Bonham. Now, remember, they weren't really known then. They were working on their first album. So uh, Alex and Eddie, uh, well, Alex mostly, here's the story. Yeah, we were, uh, we were playing at uh, Gazzari's, where it was one of the first places in Hollywood that we played. And uh, on one of the breaks, I went over to the Rainbow, which is kind of a hangout for musicians and uh, when they're in town, like a lot of Imas, you know, like I want to be, or I'm a model, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a dancer. <laughs> so, uh, I seen this, this guy. He's pretty big, you know, actually for his for his uh, whatever. He doesn't look that big on film or on. Um... 
Anyway, to make a long story short, I went to walk up to him and I said, hey, John, how you doing? Good to meet you. And the guy had a cast on his arm to here. And I went like this to shake his hand. And the guy took a poke at me. Well, you know, I'm not quite as big. I'm just a little quicker than him. <laughs> so he missed. And I said, <clears throat> then he had a body, he had a bodyguard. He was about. Uh, Came up to his waist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Or was he, or was he wasted? <laughs> or was he <laughs> So anyway, that was my experience with uh, Bonham. And it was, it was a pleasure meeting him. <laughs> I'm glad that they mentioned Gazaris because I, that was the other one. That was on the strip near Doheny. Right. It closed in 93, but very significant club. Uh, Jim Morrison played there before he was with the Doors. And Van Halen, they were the house band in the, oh, you know, wow. in the late 70s okay. all the way through. So, yeah, shout out to Gazaris. That was great. So, all right. All right. So now we have a conversation that you had with Simon Kirk. And I, I'd like to refer to it as a heart to heart. Okay, heart to heart. All right, well, I, I, we all know Simon Kirk from his amazing work uh, as a founding member of the band Free, as well as the uh, supergroup Bad Company. In fact, I, I saw them not too long ago. They're still out there playing. Uh, they do 100 and some dates a year. Uh, anyway, he has a very personal perspective to bring to our show. Uh, when I was doing my book, I have a Led Zeppelin book out. Oh, it's a beautiful book, by the Thank way. Thank you very much. It's like a coffee table book, yeah. but it's much more, you know, it's, it's a beautiful book. Congratulations. On Thank that. you. So anyway, uh, Simon gave me a great interview and he's in the book. And uh, so this is from that conversation. He recalls the first time he met uh, John Bonham, which uh, it wasn't with bad company. He actually met him when he was 19 years old. He came to New York for the first time with the band Free right when they released their uh, their big hit, All Right Now. My very, very first memory of uh, Bonzo was when Free came to New York, opening for Blind Faith. With four, with four little kids, we were sat in this Irish bar on 8th and 48th. We'd just arrived. We were terrified because we'd been turned over by the customs in JFK. I mean, turned inside out because of our hair. So we were absolutely terrified. First time I'd seen a gun on a hip and the police. Anyway, so we're sitting there nursing our little Budweiser or whatever. And the barman comes over and he's got four pints of Guinness. And he puts them down on the table between us. He said, that's from that guy over there. And it's Bonzo. And he goes, welcome to, welcome to America, guys. And he didn't know us. Maybe he'd heard of us, but he went, I think that's John Bonham. Wow. And, you know, and he, he walked, got up and walked out. And that was the first time I'd ever met him. Simon was uh, actually the last person to play live with Bonham. It was on what turned out to be the final Led Zeppelin tour, which was uh, the one they called the Tour Over Europe, 1980. And that tour ran from, uh, let's see, June 17th to July 7th. The shows were performed in cities throughout Germany, as well as one each in Brussels, Rotterdam, Vienna, and Zurich. So I want to tell you before I play the story here that after Simon told me this story, I had to stop the interview so he could compose himself. I mean, he actually started to tear up. And, uh, well, here it is. Listen. I was at a loose end. The bad company would kind of gone on hiatus. So Peter called me up and said, listen, we're in Germany why don't you come and hang out with us for a, a, a few days? Come over from England. Oh, yeah, it's not a long, it's like an hour flight. So I went over to Frankfurt 
and they they were playing there. And after the show, Bonzo came up to me out of the blue and said, "Would hey Kirky, would you like to play drums on uh, um, Whole Lot of Love?" I said, "I'd love to," because no one had ever played with them on stage other than Ronnie some, Wood. Ronnie, okay. And it was an honour. And I thought, oh, God. I said, John, I'd love to. Yes. Where do we rehearse? He says, in my bedroom in the hotel. What? I thought we'd have two drum kits or something in a studio. So I went up to his room, and he's got, like, two twin beds. And he sat on one bed. I'm sat on the other. We're facing each other, you know. And with our hands on our knees and thighs, he ran me through all the different time changes. He says, I start off. Duh, 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 duh. I said, I know the beginning, uh, John. I have heard it a few times. He said, no, listen, listen, pay attention. He was like a, a college professor. Pay attention. Because after three minutes, I stop. Jimmy goes. Anyway, we, we ran through all this. And the next night, uh, they announced me. And I went on. And they put another kit next to John's, and I'm getting quite getting quite emotional thinking about it because really that was their last gig and it was the last I ever saw John because he died you know, a couple of months later. And at the end, I'm sweating bullets because I, I, I sweat when I play. It's just the way. And Bonzo is as cool as ice. He comes up. He says, that was, can I swear on this program? He said, that was fucking great. And that was the last I ever heard from him. So Simon said that uh, after he told that story, he never had told it before, and I can see why. Even though we have so many interviews from so many people, John himself rarely gave interviews, but right. luckily you do have one. Yes, I do. We're going to get back to more stories. But yeah, this is, um, I, I thought our listeners would like to hear this. This is from one of those rare interviews. Like you said, he didn't give too many of them. This one was back in 1970. Uh, when the uh, prestigious British music publication Melody Maker, which I guess is equivalent to uh, Billboard magazine over here, they named Led Zeppelin the top rock group after an eight-year reign by the Beatles. And John was asked to compare Zeppelin and the Beatles. Good evening. Tonight, a musical surprise as the Beatles topple. It's cool, it's groovy, it's number one, the Led Zeppelin. The Led, uh, what? The uh, Led Zeppelin, but I'm afraid that you and other dads like you may never have heard of them. But this British group has made musical history today. Readers of The Melody Maker have voted them the top world group. The significance is that the Beatles have held this title for eight years. But now, the Beatles are out. Eight years ago, the Beatles were four clean-cut and clean-shaven young men who had a happy knack for songwriting. The tunes they wrote and sang were evergreens, as hummable and as immortal as I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas and Autumn Leaves. But a new generation was growing up, a generation to whom Bing Crosby and the Ink Spots meant nothing, a generation that demanded a new kind of music, music like the music of the Led Zeppelin. The Beatles ran for for eight years, and uh, when one thinks of a a song of theirs, Yesterday, which had all sorts of variations played upon it, um, do you think as musicians you'll be able to last as long as eight years? Do you think you'll be inventive enough? You know, the old thing about being able to whistle the tune, being able to hum the tune as you go away, I don't think I could hum any of your stuff. No, but that, I think it's changing. That That's the main thing, you see. I think that's why the awards have changed, because 
the kids are changing for a start. And so is the music changing. I think there's already a single out of Whole Lot of Love, an orchestra playing it, mm. which is, is quite interesting, really. The flute plays what the lead vocal would do. So you're saying, you're saying that your fans don't necessarily want to whistle the tunes, to hum the tunes. They're much more sophisticated than you know, my generation. I think, well, I think so. I, well, not, no, <laughs> not, not in that sense. I, I, I think these days, that, the, 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 let's say the public... You know, it's not just say the kids because we've had sort of all sorts of people at concerts, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that they're coming to listen to what you're playing and not just to look at you and see what you are. I mean, I remember when I was, let's go back a few years, when I first went to see the Beatles, because we've mentioned them a few times, it was to look at them, you know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you didn't really bother what you were listening to. Yeah. And today, well, it's not what you are, it's yes. what you're playing. Well, I think most people know about Jason Bonham, John's son, who plays drums for several bands, including Farner. That's uh, where I was uh, lucky enough to meet him at uh, the radio station WMGK. They have an annual 4th of July party in Philly. And someone said to me, do you know who's playing drums? I said, who? He's really good. And he said, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's Jason Bonham. And I was like, wow, starstruck. So I have a cute picture of the two of us, but... Uh, a nicer guy, right? You just we'll, we'll put it on our so website nice. so they can see it. All right. He was just so nice. But I don't know if a lot of people know that John also had a daughter, and her name is yeah. Zoe, right. and he has a sis has a sister named Debbie. And Zoe and Debbie perform Led Zeppelin songs, and they're all over Facebook. And um, Zoe plays a mean harmonica. It's 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 amazing to watch. She's very pretty, and it's um it's just interesting. I just wonder what John would have thought, you know. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about Jason, obviously I, I pulled up a bit and he, this is a great story. He talks about as he was growing up, you know, his father was, would wake him up in the middle of the night and when he'd have people over and say, Hey, Jason, come on down, play drums. And you know, anyway, he, I'll tell you, here it is. I started to play drums from about the age four or five. Um, I actually don't remember being taught, but it was kind of, I've watched old movie footage of where I'm playing as a child. Mainly, I used to play along to like jukebox. Uh, my dad would program it, and generally, I, I've spoken about before. Is I'd be woken up in the middle of the night, you know, dad would come and wake me up and say, "I'll oh, come and play drums for my friends." And I'd come downstairs in my pajamas, and and he'd put the jukebox on. I'd play like "All Right Now" or something from Bad Company and Free and uh, other Stones, and uh, he was just very proud. So that was kind of my, you know, there's the the kind of the parties and musicians didn't really know anything different. So speaking of yes, they were label mates uh, with Zep. Yeah. They were both on Atlantic Records. You spoke with Chris Squire. When, when and where did this happen? Well, I, I actually know Chris pretty well. I've known him for like 40 years. And uh, I was actually an usher at his second wedding. Uh, I think he was up to three before he passed. <laughs> anyway, one of the greatest, uh, the I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest bass player, but a story for another day and another time. Anyway, uh, when I saw Chris, I think it was he, if you don't know this, when they did the reunion concert uh, at the O2 Arena in 2007, um, that was the, you know, the Zeppelin where they got back together and recorded Celebration Day. There were other acts on the bill that were sort of acting as the opening acts, and they wanted to get people that had been on the Atlantic roster. 
So two of the longest running bands uh, were Emerson, Lake and Palmer and yes. And they were label mates of Zeppelin and they were uh, arguably the, the biggest bands on the label. Um, so uh, for the opening to Zeppelin, uh, Chris said he got a call and uh, they asked him if he would play bass with Keith Emerson, who was going to play keys, obviously. And they were going to do a version of uh, fanfare for the common man. And uh, Chris got Alan White, the drummer from Yes, and also Simon Kirk, our old buddy there from Bad Company. And the four of them did a version of um, a Fanfare for the Common Man. So I figured, you know, well, Chris, Chris had a pretty good uh, bird's eye view of the show. So he would have some good comments. So we talked about the show. We talked about, because he knows Jason for, uh, since he was a kid, we talked about that. So uh, I, I thought these stories would be uh, rather appropriate. Here's Chris. Well, he was, yeah, he was extraordinarily good. I mean, uh, the Zeppelin thing was stemmed from the power of the drums. And then, you know, they hung the hooks of the guitars and the, and the keyboards around the, the power of the drums, really. And, of course, you know, uh, Robert, Robert's uh, great rock and roll singing as well. But, um, yeah, John Bonham was very important to that band. Uh, Jason now uh, is accomplished enough to uh, follow in his father's footsteps. Well, Chris Squire has known Jason Bonham since he was a little kid, and uh, Chris saw Jason the first time he filled in for his father when Yes and Zeppelin played at the Atlantic Records 40th anniversary concert in 1988. Gosh, I wish I'd been there. And you talked to him about it. Yeah, I I, I did, and uh, that was the first time that uh, um, Zeppelin got together with Jason. Now, the only other time they had gotten together officially was at Live Aid, although I think Jason will tell you that they played at his wedding, but I don't think that counts. Anyway, uh, yeah, Live uh, live Aid is when they first got together, and then 1988 was the 40th anniversary of Atlantic Records, so that's where this is from. The last time I'd seen them was at the Atlantic 40th uh, in 1988 uh, at Madison Square Garden, where their performance left a little to be desired, but in all fairness, Jason was 19 years old or something. Then it might, uh, it must have been difficult for him to be uh, doing that show in his father's footsteps. But um, you know, um, 20 years later, Jason's become a great drummer, and and uh, the whole power of Zeppelin really comes from the drums, actually. And um, and he played magnificently, and the whole band did. Nice words on Jason Bonham. By the way, uh, Anita, what's what are your top five Zeppelin songs? Well, Denny, <laughs> I just started from the beginning because it's just so there's so many. So two of mine are from seventy three, and the other three are from seventy one. Okay, so the first one, Houses of the Holy, mm-hmm. and I'm a proud to say that I lost my virginity to that this song uh, at least three times okay. uh, spiritually emotionally and I can't remember the other way right. uh, Misty Mountain Hop a great song about a legalized pot rally so okay. how can't you love that going to California because that's all I wanted to right. do and what a beautiful hallucination that song is right. uh, rock and roll it's just a great song Ian Stewart on piano and this one I don't know how you're going to feel about it, but this is, I'm pulling this one out because. Okay. I'm ready. The crunge. First time I've heard that on the top five. Well, come on. James Brown, take it to the bridge. Where's the confounded bridge. I love the crunge. So there you go. And now of course, 
I'm throwing it to you. I know, I know we're in agreement about the early stuff. Yeah, I'm partial to the first album because, uh, like I said, I was so blown away when I first heard it. I love every song on there. Uh, but if I had to give a, a top five um, over the career, I would say Immigrant Song, Ramble On, The Battle of Evermore. Uh, Sandy Denny. The Sandy Denny. It's the yeah. only time someone yeah. uh, other than the band sang on their record. Well, I think, I think the only other song that uh, is that amazing that features a vocal like that would have to be Mary Clayton and Gimme Shelter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Okay. And then Dazed and Confused, uh, and of course, uh, Cashmere, which is, to me is wow. still the, the ultimate Zeppelin song. Uh, not, I mean, Stairway to Heaven is a great song, but it's not well, to me what not to pat Zeppelin's about. each other so. on the back, but if that was a set list, that'd be one <laughs> yeah, hell of a show. It would be. One hell of a show. It would be. So, um, you know, we love the, the first album, and we also have in common that we both love this guy. Yeah. Uh, this, oh, okay. this guy, yes. uh, right. he was uh, in 1973, he was hired uh, to be Led Zeppelin's publicist. Um, how can you not love Danny Goldberg? Yeah, you, you, the name, you, it won't ring a bell. You, you're not supposed to know who he is. He's a, an industry <laughs> guy. But you're right. He was a publicist. And then Led Zeppelin liked him so much, they made him vice president uh, of Swan Song Records. And he did that. And uh, so he, you know, one of the few people that got to work on the inside. So you know that his perspective is, is rather unique. And he, he later went on uh, to uh, be the, the president of Mercury Records. He was also one of the founders of Modern Records, which was Stevie Nicks' label. But more importantly, or more notably, he was the manager of Nirvana. And uh, he said that uh, Dave Grohl, obviously, you know, with the Foo Fighters now, and of course, an original member in Nirvana, uh, was such a huge John Bonham fan that it helped Danny with his affiliation with the band. But he, he tells it. Here it is. Dave Grohl loves Led Zeppelin, and he loves to hear stories about Led Zeppelin. He just wanted to really hear stories about John Bonham. My relationship with Dave Grohl consisted primarily of trying to think of John Bonham stories to keep him uh, entertained. But, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain was in charge of what Nirvana did. At, at that time, uh, whenever there were band meetings, Dave Grohl would just say, don't ask me, I'm just the drummer. He'd been a newcomer to the band. Uh, I must confess, I had no idea how brilliant he was, that he also was a great singer and a songwriter. In the context of Nirvana, he really was the drummer. But he did love to talk about John Bonham and hear stories about Led Zeppelin. I think to this day, if he could go out with Jimmy and Robert and Jonesy, he would do it in a minute. You know, uh, Dave Grohl recently admitted, and I saw this in print, so I have mm -hmm. to, I didn't hear it come out of his mouth, but I assume it's true. He was so obsessed with John Bonham that he tattooed himself with that triple symbol, with the triple circle <laughs> emblem. Right. And he did it with a sewing needle and some ink. So like he didn't go get a tattoo. He sat up in his room and he did it to himself. I mean, this, come look, on. This guy you know, is totally into Totally that. obsessed. He's hardcore. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, who's not a Nirvana fan? And I think that Danny's book, uh, Serving the Servant. Yeah, right. It's a must Nirvana. read. Uh, also his books about, you know, the other one, uh, Bumping into Genius. Bumping into Genius. Yeah, both of those books are great. He, he jokes that nobody's ever, nobody re has ever read his books, but that's not true. You and I both have. And, and I think you would agree uh, that they're a great read. He did everything for the right reasons, yes, Danny. Yes, yes, yeah. And, and you know what? As long as I had him, I had to ask him some other questions. So I figured this is the one you might want to hear. But before I, I play that, we were talking about how big a fan Dave Grohl is. And I just want to let you know um, that when they played Wembley Stadium in 2008, the Foo Fighters, 
Uh, it was their biggest audience to date. I think it was about 80,000 people there. And that's the stadium where they did Live Aid. Also, if you saw the, the Queen movie, they reenact, they shot the reenactment of it also there. Um, the, the Foo Fighters figured they needed to do something to uh, make that night really memorable. That's what Dave Grohl said. So he invited Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones to come up on stage. And Dave played drums, uh, and Foo's uh, drummer, Taylor Hawkins, took over the vocals. And I think they did rock and roll, and we have the tape of the introduction. We'd like to invite a couple very special guests, Mr. Jimmy Page and Mr. John Paul Jones. Welcome to the greatest day of my whole entire life. That's, uh, that's a Led Zeppelin fan right there. Anyway, as I said, uh, we're going to go back and get another comment uh, from Danny uh, because I was uh, asking him, uh, did he, was he surprised that the band uh, didn't continue after Bonham passed? And this is what he said. Robert Plant and John Bonham were very old friends. They came from the same town or the same region of England. And Robert had been through a lot. I think, I think uh, one of his sons died in a tragic illness. Uh, uh, the death of Bonham, I think, hit Robert particularly hard. And uh, I was not surprised. I think, again, there's, there was, uh, for example, Keith Moon died young in The Who, and they had another drummer, no problem. And I think Keith Moon was a terrific drummer, but he was not an integral part of the sound of the who the way john bond was an integral part of the sound of led zeppelin so um they certainly could have done it and 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 made it work as a business but knowing them personally and knowing how close robert was to bonzo i'm not surprised that he didn't want to continue and i have a feeling he was the one that didn't want to continue i i was not working for zeppelin anymore when bonham died that he died about a year after i left working for them so I, I wasn't part of those conversations, but I was not surprised to hear it, no. So speaking of surprises, I was like, wait a minute. That's not Led Zeppelin. Why are we playing Black <laughs> Sabbath? But um, apparently there's a connection between uh, Tommy Iommi and... Uh, John Bonham, I, I never knew. Well, yeah, he knew John Bonham well. In fact, uh, Bonham was the best man at uh, Tony's wedding ceremony. And Sabbath hailed from the Midlands in England, the same area that John Bonham called home. According to uh, Tony, uh, Bonham would frequently go to Black Sabbath shows and pester their drummer, Bill Ward, to let him, you know, fill in, play drums with the band. And, uh, well, I'll let Tony tell the story. Well, yes. I mean, John used to come to the gigs, uh, usually come with me. Um, <clears throat> and he'd always say to Bill, Bill, can I, can I have a go on the, can I have a go? You know, can I have a play? And, and Bill let him play the one time and, and John broke his kit, broke his snare and broke, broke his fitments. And oh, cause if John was a heavy player. No question. John Bonham was a powerhouse drummer. I mean, he was a killer. Set me
That's the Vanilla Fudge. And the reason we're playing that is on the very first Zeppelin tour, they were the opening act for Vanilla Fudge, who were riding the wave of uh, their big hit there, You Keep Me Hanging On. Lead singer Mark Stein remembers the very first date in Salt Lake City. And he told me that uh, by the second tour they did with Zeppelin, Vanilla Fudge was now the opening act. That's how big and how fast that happened. Anyway, here's Mark. We were playing a, a gig, um, I think it was uh, Albuquerque or the Denver show. And this was the band where Vanilla Fudge was headlining. And uh, this new band, Led Zeppelin, was the first band on the bill. I think Iron Butterfly might have been on that show. Spirit. Okay, but I, I didn't get to meet any of the guys at that time. But we started doing some shows. It was I remember it was a brutal weather. It was a, the worst snowstorm in, in recent history in the late 60s up in the Portland and Seattle area. And so we were doing one of the Coliseums, and Led Zeppelin were, you know, opening the show for us. So uh, I was in the dressing room, and uh, knock, knock, knock on the door. And, uh, and this kid, uh, you know, John Bonham, says, hey, you think I can come in and meet you guys? You know, this little innocent-looking kid, you know, and he's walking in. And I said, yeah, you're in Jimmy Page's new band, Led Zeppelin. Great. Yeah, come on in, man. Pleased to meet you. So a couple of the guys from, you know, Jimmy Page comes walking in. We're hanging out. And said, boy, you know, we really love you guys. We listen to your records in England all the time. And, you know, it's just great to be playing on the show with you guys, right? I said, yes. I said, how to Carmine? Can I meet Carmine? I said, oh, man, yeah. Carmine, come here. You know, here's uh, John Bonham, drummer in Led Zeppelin. So they started talking and... They developed a really great relationship, you know, over the years. I think Carmine got his first endorsement with Ludwig Drums at the time, too. But they were just a bunch of, you know, just young kids. They were just wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, innocent, beautiful guys. And we, we got on great together. And uh, I thought, they were, wow, they were just a, just an amazing band. And the people started taking to them right away. So we just uh, started playing a bunch of shows together. And it, uh, it was a really great marriage. Carmine Apiece is Vanilla Fudge's drummer, and he was a big influence, as you heard, on uh, Bonham, and remembers meeting him on the debut tour. We took a new band on, the, on tour with us. His name was Led Zeppelin. I met this new guy, this drummer, John Bonham. Nobody ever heard of him. You know, I heard of him because we had the album before anybody else, so we listened to it, you know, when... In those days, if somebody wanted to tour with you, you got a hold of their album. If you liked it, you could let them do it. If you didn't like it, they wouldn't, you know, they can't do it. We loved their album. I loved what he did. And when I met him, he was green. Yeah, nobody ever saw him, you know. He, John Bottom was, you know, totally unknown. And the album wasn't even out yet when we uh, met him and they did the first gig with us. And I found out a couple of years ago that we actually paid half the, uh, the fee. Uh, they got $1,500 for the first gig they ever did in America, and we paid, Vanilla Fudge paid seven fifty of it. That's pretty funny, right? Uh, but uh, when I met John, he was uh, totally unknown, and he had told me that, you know, I was one of his influences. I had all influences like you know, Gene Cooper, Buddy Rich, me, and you know, a few other people, Bernard Purdy, and and that. I said, oh, thank you, you know. And again, you got to understand, nobody ever heard of this guy, you know. And I told him I loved his bass drum. I loved the bass drum thing he did. And he told me that he got it for me. And I said, no, I don't do that. And he actually pointed out to me on a Vanilla Fudge album where I did do it once. You know, I did it like a dot, do-da-dot, do-da-dot, do-da-dot. You know, quarter notes on the snare and the triplet on the bass drum. And I just played it. I didn't even know what I was doing, probably. I went back and listened, and it was there. I said, wow. 
And I went back to him. I said, you're right. It was there. He goes, yeah, I took that and I made it into my own thing. And I said, well, I love that thing. And when he saw my big blonde maple drums, that was it. He flipped out. He said, can you think you can hook me up with Ludwig to get a kit like that? I said, well, see what we can do. I remember calling Ludwig saying, this new guy, John Bonham, his group Led Zeppelin, I think they're going to be big. Understatement of four decades? Yes. Got John the same exact kit as mine. Uh, double bass drum even. And he did play that double bass drum kit in 1969 when we toured together for the whole summer. After that, Robert and Jimmy told him it was too much and they got rid of the one bass drum. When they did that, that's what became the Led Zeppelin drum set, the big 26 bass drum, the big front tom, big toms in the side, the six and a half inch deep snare and the gong. Yes, I had the gong also. And, uh, but he was a great guy and, um, yeah, I loved him, and uh, he was a great dude, and as we know, went on to become you know, fantastic. Now, here's an interesting story, Anita, and you know this guy. It's from Larry Magid, one of the biggest concert promoters in America, and the co-promoter of Live Aid, where Zeppelin first reformed. So he had a history with the band. Of course, uh, told me the story, which I thought was really interesting, that Zeppelin would do a sound check for like an hour, and then John Bonham, well... Let Larry tell the story. Uh, he did a long sound check. There were drummers that did that, especially if you had a larger than normal set of drums or percussion instruments. He t- he definitely took uh, a lot of time on stage, as did a few others. But yeah, I do re- I do recall they took a long time. Yeah, Danny Larry Magid uh, was in Philadelphia. What Bill Graham was on the West Coast, and what Don Law was in the Northeast, uh, in New England. And uh, those shows, those two shows that were scheduled for November 3rd and 4th, you could see why Larry would be so upset. Uh, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a promoter, so you yeah. know how yeah. off the handle those guys can fly. You know, I've been collecting these John Bonham stories for almost 40 years from all sorts of people. And the next one is from Phil Ehart, founding member and drummer for Kansas. And I saw him not too long ago. I think it was about a, about a year and a half ago. And actually, they were touring with Foreigner uh, when I saw him. Uh, but he tells me, and by the way, they, they really did live in Kansas because he was telling me that he saw Led Zeppelin at Memorial Hall in Kansas City. And he remembers going to the show. And this is why you always need to be your best all the time, because if somebody sees you on any particular day, they're going to think that's what you're like. And just listen to Phil. I remember uh, Rich Williams and myself and a number of friends piled in his car in Topeka, Kansas, and drove over to uh, Kansas City at Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Auditorium and saw Led Zeppelin play there. Um, It was very, very disappointing uh, because I guess their gear, had, they had just come from Canada, and some of their stuff had gotten stuck in customs. And so John Bonham, rest his soul, decided to get really, really drunk, and he was actually unable to play. He just kind of slumped forward on his drum set through the whole show, and the other three of them did the best they could, but Bonham was, he was gone. I mean, he just sat there and didn't play, and I remember... Plant kept hitting on his cymbals, you know, try to pop out of it, come on, and he was just too gone. 
Now, I've got some comments from someone who spent a lot of time with Led Zeppelin, and particularly uh, John Bonham, working with him in the studio. And his name is Ron Nevison. Ron's one of the most uh, prolific record producers and engineers. He's worked with uh, The Who. He produced Quadrophenia, actually. Grand Funk, Kiss, Heart, Dave Mason, Bad Company, Thin Lizzy, UFO, Ozzy, all the bands you like, Anita. Anyway, for Zeppelin, he was behind the boards on Physical Graffiti, and he describes uh, how he got the classic drum sound from the place they recorded, Headley Grange. You know that famous uh, When the Levee Breaks drum sound? They wanted to record at Headley Grange for the drum sound. They loved the drum sound. If you walk into Headley Grange, you walk into this um, old farmhouse, a nice farmhouse, though, that it had, had a marble floor and it had uh, a stairwell, stairwell that went around three, I think, three levels or something like that. Now, like big, I don't think it was rectangle. It wasn't square, but it was a rectangle, but... Uh, it was probably about 30 by 40, something like that. And the drum kit was put right in the middle of the floor in that room. And, uh, and that's why they picked Headley Grange. Now, obviously, if you're using a house to record, you have to bring the recording equipment with you. And in some cases, I mean, you could have just brought a mixer and you could have brought the whole thing. It was easier to bring a, a truck where the acoustics were good inside the truck for, for to make uh, sonic choices and, and everything else. So it was kind of coincidence that I'd built Ronnie Lane's mobile and that they needed to do that pretty much the same year that I built it. Ron also made a, a very interesting observation about John Bonham's drumming uh, that I wanted to include. So this is what he has to say on that. The interesting thing that I got from working with them, especially in the, ba the basic tracks, is that, you know, John Bonham really was the first drummer that I ever heard that just played just from the guitar. I mean, he played every guitar lick. And most drummers just play with a bass player and play the rhythm and, and keep time. But this guy was, uh, and that I think is a signature in, uh, of Led Zeppelin in my mind. And, uh, you know, I've talked to other guys that work with them, like Eddie Kramer and Andy Johns, and they agree that uh, that, that was a kind of a unique uh, aspect of, of working with them. Producer, engineer Ron Nevison. And by the way, I invited him to uh, come on our show uh, and talk about his entire body of work. Uh, and he said he would. So I'm looking forward to that. And as long as we have Ron, I uh, found this great bit from Ann Wilson of Heart. And they're big Zeppelin fans. And remember, they played Stairway to Heaven at the Kennedy Center Honors in front of the band a few years ago. Led Zeppelin had a major influence, was a major influence on Hart from the beginning. Um, I think that when John Bonham passed, it was in effect really the end of Zeppelin because they they knew in their in their very core soul of their band that it would never be Led Zeppelin again without him. 
He was the Velvet Hammer. He was the the heartbeat of that band, except for the one time at the O2 Arena uh, a, a few years back. They never replaced him. Um, and I find that really, really admirable that they would remain true and authentic to their original band like that. Led Zeppelin never wanted to become a tribute band to themselves. And uh, that's why, you know, they didn't go out and find a singer to replace Robert Plant when he didn't want to go on tour recently. I mean, they just said, okay, that's good. Let's let it lay. And I think that's really beautiful. Well, here's another John Bonham story. And this one, Denny, is from your conversation with Stephen Davis, author of one of the best-selling rock biographies of all time. It was published in 1985 called Hammer of the Gods, which obviously is a line from Immigrant Song. Stephen Davis was on tour with Led Zeppelin in 1975, and here's his story. 1975 was a long, grueling tour in, in one of the coldest winters on record, and so the concerts varied in many ways. In the beginning of the tour, Jimmy was p- playing with a, a sprained finger, and so the earliest shows in Chicago and in the Midwest um, to be honest, weren't very good. They were less than magic Led Zeppelin shows. And also Robert Plant had the flu. They were carrying, they were traveling with a tour doctor on the plane and he wasn't able to do much for, for Robert. Really all, with the flu, all you can do is eat chicken soup and wait for it to go away. So there was a whole period in the early part of that tour when, where Zeppelin was playing, um, really under par. And the, the one guy who carried the band and who was great every night was the drummer, John Bonham. And kind of all the weight of this tour fell on his shoulders. He had to be great every night, and and he pretty much was. And I was very impressed with that. Well, so far, we've heard from Alex and Eddie Van Halen, Alice Cooper, Chris Squire of Yes, Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath, Simon Kirk of uh, Bad Company, Mark Stein and uh, Carmine Apice from Vanilla Fudge, Jason Bonham. Um, I think it's a pretty good lineup for the show. What do you think, Anita? Absolutely. And I was really anxious to hear uh, your recollections of when you met uh, the remaining three members of Led Zeppelin. What, what was that like for you? I, I did interview all three of them, but uh, not when they were uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, the first time I interviewed any of them was 1981 or yeah, 81, 82. Robert Plant was getting ready to go out on his first solo tour. It was for a show I was working on called Friday Night Videos. And what was great about the interview was when you get somebody like that who's going out on a first tour, and this was like his first interview in years, you can get away with just about asking him anything because, you know, they're going out on tour. They don't know. They haven't talked to the public in so many years. So uh, you'll hear, uh, you know, that interview uh, on a future show. We're going to hear from the three guys from the band right now that I picked. But um, uh, Robert Plant amazing when he walked into the room you could feel his presence it was one of those things anyway i want to play something uh from each of the guys before we get into our uh, closing so here they are uh john paul jones then uh, you'll hear jimmy and then you'll hear robert you know he, he was a bass player's dream really <laughs> uh, not only was a drummer he was he was a musician <laughs> as well you know there are two can can be sometimes different um, having said that, you can say that about any instrument, but he really knew what he was doing and he listened and he had such a, such feel, such a soul. And we just worked really well together. Plus he was always funny. I mean, he was, he was a very humorous man and a very generous man. And so he used to go crazy. So did we all. But, uh, no, he was a joy to be with on stage. It really was. I, I just loved playing with him. His imagination on the drums was certainly in the rock and roll field was second to none. I mean, absolutely second to none. 
the overall swing that he had was just, again, you know, no one's, you know, it's just like, so, you know, you talk about guitarists like Hendrix. Nobody played like Hendrix. Nobody played the drums like John Bonham. And that's all there is to it. His, his imagination and what he could actually do. I mean, I, I could present him with a riff and he'd, he'd sit on it straight away, you know. Basically, because as the band went on, it became more exciting because you knew you could push these things and, and everyone would be able to lock in like that, you know, it's fabulous. And, you know, it was great with John because uh, he just knew that there wasn't anything you could throw at him that he wouldn't be able to do and improve on. I think it really, the whole thing about Zeppelin was it was off the wall. It was crazy. It was one of those one-in-a-million combinations. And really, to repeat it again and again and again, Bonzo was the main part of the band. He was the man who made whatever Page and I wrote basically work by what he held back, what he didn't do, the tempos that he did. And I don't know, I don't think there's anybody in the world who could actually ever replace him, however noble it might sound saying it. It's a fact. Well, Denny, it looks like our time is up for this special tribute to Led Zeppelin's powerhouse drummer, John Bonham, on this episode, the first episode of The Rock Podcast. Now, uh, before we go, I want to play this clip because uh, it's from 2012. And I found it sort of last minute, but I figured I, I got to throw it in here because, you know, where else would it fit? Uh, in 2012, I went to the press conference that was held in New York City when the Led Zeppelin Celebration Day was released. Now, there were many questions about whether or not Led Zeppelin would go on a reunion tour. And I thought, OK, I'm going to ask something different because everybody was asking that. And that's something, of course, we wanted to know. Uh, actually, I, 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 I figured, you know what, I'll start a good rumor and I had started this rumor, and it started to circulate to the point where when it came to the press conference, I actually asked them if the rumor was true. Uh, anyway, you'll see what, I, see what I mean. How do you feel about getting the uh, Kennedy Center honors, number one? And number two, I'm not going to ask you about the reunion or anything, but there is a rumor that you might do the Super Bowl. <laughs> Who said Americans aren't funny? <laughs> So I'll be searching the archives and uh, putting some uh, great moments in rock together for the next episode. And if you want to hear about a particular artist, an event in rock history, whatever, if it's in the archives, you'll hear it. Just uh, you know, contact us at therockpodcast.com. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, we like to say this is the only podcast that matters. So don't forget to tell uh, your friends if you like what you're hearing. Anita? Well, anything you want to hear, any show you want to hear, we're open to suggestions. Uh, but right now, closing our first ever, I really think that we should give the last word to this guy. Uh, I worked with the speechwriters. There's no smooth transition from ballet to Led Zeppelin. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to work the stairway to heaven metaphor, and it didn't work. So when Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham burst on the musical scene in the late 1960s, the world never saw it coming. Uh, there was this singer with a mane like a lion, a voice like a banshee, a guitar prodigy who left people's jaws on the floor, a versatile bassist who was equally at home on the keyboards, a drummer who played like his life depended on him. And when the Brits initially kept their distance, Led Zeppelin grabbed America from the opening court. 
We were ready for what Jimmy called songs with a lot of light and shape. Uh, it's been said that a generation of young people survived teenage angst with a pair of headphones and a Zeppelin album. And a generation of parents uh, wondered what all that noise was about. But even now, 32 years after John Bonham's uh, passing, and we all, I think, appreciate the fact that the Zeppelin legacy lives on. The last time the band performed together in 2007, perhaps the last time ever, but we don't know, uh, more than 20 million fans from around the world applied for tickets. And what they saw was vintage Zeppelin. No frills, no theatrics, just a few guys who can still make uh, the ladies weak at the knees, and, uh, huddled together, following the music. Uh, of course, these guys also redefined the rock and roll lifestyle. We do not have video of this, but there was some hotel rooms trashed and mayhem all around. Uh, so it's fitting that we're doing this in a room with windows that are about three inches thick. <laughs> and secret service all around. So guys... Just settle down. <laughs> These paintings are valuable. <laughs> they look very calm now, though, don't they? <laughs> the, <laughs> it, is, it is a tribute to you guys. And, and tonight, uh, we honor Led Zeppelin for making us all feel young and for showing us that uh, uh, some guys who are, you know, uh, not completely youthful can still rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 